0: Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. I have a question for you: What does it mean to fall in love? Or, or you know what? Actually, let me let me change that question just a little bit and say, what behaviors do we show when we're in love with someone? I mean, do y'all remember? Um, if you're married, do you remember when you first started, maybe you first met your wife, or your future wife or husband, and you, you were courting. Do you remember those days? Or if you're not married, you can, maybe you've, you've, you're dating someone, you can remember or you can think about what it's like to be in love and how you behaved. So Lindsay and I met when we were, uh, Lindsay's my wife, by the way, just in case you were wondering. Um, we met when we were in high school. And so we would wait for one another after class because we wanted to spend every moment that we could with one another, right? We would we would put notes in each each other's locker. Um, I know that sounds corny, but that's what we did. And 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 I remember thinking, man, I sure hope when I open the locker, there's going to be a note there from her that I can read. It was before texting, kids. Okay, so um, you had to look forward to the notes. We would spend um, afternoons together when when one of us wasn't working or something like that. And then at night, we would we would talk on the phone with one another. Right? Y'all remember, y'all remember those days? Yeah. So let me ask you a, a slightly different question. What does it mean to fall in love with the pages of Scripture? What does it mean to fall in love with the pages of Scripture? What kind of behaviors do we do when we're in love with the pages of Scripture? Does it mean that we read the pages of Scripture like all day, every day, like, like people throughout Christian history have done? or at least some people throughout Christian history? Does it mean that we carry our Bibles with us everywhere we go? Now, for a lot of us, that's easy because they're on our phones. But does it mean that we carry this around and, and when, every moment we get that we open it up and we start reading, is that what it means to fall in love with the pages of Scripture? Does it mean that we walk around quoting Scripture every other sentence and learning to speak in the these and thous that sometimes are found in Scripture? Is that what, is that, what that means? Does it, we, does it mean that we memorize entire books of the Bible? After all, there's believers around the world that do memorize entire books of the Bible because they have to. You know, in their particular country where they're living, maybe it's against the law to be a follower of Christ or against the law to have a, a Bible. So they say, hey, you, you're going you're gonna to read and memorize the book of Romans and then you're going to memorize the book of Acts and then you're going to memorize the book of First John, which that's what I would be hoping for, right? You know your Bible, you know that's a smaller book what I would be wanting to memorize if I had to do that. But is that what it means to, to fall in love with the pages of Scripture? Does it mean that we put Scripture all over the backside of our cars on bumper stickers? You know, back when I was a student pastor here at this church, you know, one of the key things that we taught students on an ongoing basis was to fall in love with the pages of Scripture. It was one of the core things that we cycled through every year because we wanted the students here at this church to know and understand God's Word. Now, why did we do that? Well, because Scripture is how we get to know about who Jesus is. And falling in love with Scripture, it's not falling in love with this page, like this pulpwood kind of page thing. It's falling in love with the words that are on there, because those are God's words to us about who He is. And so when I say falling in love with Scripture, I'm talking about falling in love with God's word to you and to me that tell us about who Jesus is. Because falling in love with Scripture will cause you to fall in love with Jesus because it's how you get to know Him. Scripture is also how God uses, or it's something that He uses to teach us how we are to live. Right? There's, there's plenty of instruction in here on how we should behave and live and the things that ought to motivate us. But Scripture is also how God shows us our need for Him. That is why we want people to love the pages of Scripture and to know them. So today, we come to a passage that is key in helping us to know these things, to know Jesus, to know how we are to live, and to know and understand our need for God. So we are, in, as Pastor Keith has already mentioned, we're in Psalm chapter 1. We're going to take the whole chapter today, verses 1 through 6. We're taking a little bit of a pause from our study through the New Testament Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But here we are in Psalm chapter 1, Verses 1-6, through here's what they say. It says this, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Incredible. An incredible passage from Scripture. I actually remember studying this passage when I was at Macintosh High School, when one of the literary classes we took, we. we dissected this and talked about it from a literary perspective. I don't remember what I learned there. But people study Psalm chapter 1 all of the time. Well, there's as, as I was digging into this over the past couple of weeks and learning, what is it that we need to be knowing today? I realized that really we could probably spend the next couple of weeks just in this one chapter. But we get to do it in just one day. So we're going to go pretty quick. So let me give you a very, very, very quick outline of these six verses. Verse 1 simply tells us, don't do something. It says, don't do or behave this certain way. Verse 2 says, do this. And what it's telling us to do is to delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. Verses 3 through 6 basically say, if you do this, in other words, if you delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night, good things are going to happen. If you don't, bad things are going to happen. It's Pretty simple, right? It is simple but profound. And so we're going to dig in together and kind of unpack this a little bit more. But before we do that, I want to pray. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the time of worship through song and through prayer that we have already had this morning. As we dig into Psalm chapter 1, help us to fall in love with the pages of Scripture. Help us to know how to do that, God. Give us the ability to see and to understand what you're teaching us and what you're calling us to do. Give us your wisdom your ability to put what we are going to learn into practice in our lives so that we may love you more and love one another more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Starting in verse 1. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. It starts, let me actually read it for you again. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. A lot of meaning there, but quickly unpacked. Blessed is the first word that we come to. So what in the world does blessed mean? We don't use that word outside of church typically or unless we're talking to other believers. And, and often, here's how we use it in, in, in Christianese. Someone will say, how are you doing today? And you might respond, I'm blessed. Typically what we mean when we say that is we're saying, hey, things are good in life right now and so everything's okay. That's typically what we mean. Well, the word blessed here, it's, it's a little deeper than that. Meaning's a little bit deeper. The meaning here, if you were to study the Hebrew word, actually talks about this joy that comes from the inside. It is very, very similar to the word that Jesus used, "blessed," in the New Testament when he's teaching. He said, "Blessed are those who." He's talking about a joy. The New Living Translation translate translates. That word as, oh, the joys of those who do not follow. And then it goes on into the rest. It is this joy that comes from within inside. And we're going to talk about what this inside thing means. So it's not this joy that's based on the external. It is a joy that's based on what is going on on the inside. And we'll get there in just a few moments. Now, the verse, verse 1, continues by giving a progression of sin that you and I, as followers of, of God, as followers of Christ, are to avoid. It says... The first progression, who does not walk in step with the wicked. We're to avoid walking with wicked people. Now here's here's what this means. Let's first look at the wicked people. What are what's 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 being said there to us? Well, if we unpack that word, these are people, wicked people, these are people that are loose with their morals. In other words, they're not following the teachings of God in, in terms of morality. And this verse is saying that we're not to walk with them. And so what does walking mean? Well, it's implying doing life with them and letting them teach you about morality. Walking with, with something that was like, like a teacher and a student, they would walk and talk, and the teacher would teach, and the student would listen. And what, what God is telling us here is, don't, don't walk with those people that are far from God, and let them define for you what morality is. Now, I want to be clear here and say, this is not saying that you should not have friends that are not sinners. Because the reality is, that we're all sinners, right? And I am, you are, and so if, if if it was saying, "Don't hang out with anybody that that is is messed up," we would be living on an island somewhere by ourselves. That's not what this is saying. But it's saying, "Don't don't walk with them in such a way that they're defining for you how to live." That makes sense. It's kind of like this, and and maybe a silly illustration. But if I was to bring a chair up here on stage, and if I was going to stand on it and say that standing on the chair represented living a moral life, one that brought honor and glory to Christ, and then I was to say to someone else, hey, you come up here and you represent the wicked person and try to pull me down, which is easier for me to actually pull them up onto the chair with me or for them to pull me down, down, unless they're two years old, you're pulling me off the chair more than likely. Again, so it's telling us that we have to be very, very careful about who we're walking and doing life with. It goes on to say, or stand in the way of sinners. Again, here it's not saying that, that, that don't have friends that are sinners, because again, after all, you should, as a follower of Christ, you should know and love people who are far from him. But It says don't, don't stand with them. And, the, and so sinners here is, is, again, let me define it slightly different than just the word sinners. It is people who have deliberately chosen to walk away from God. They've said, okay, I've heard it, got it, but I'm still not going to listen. It's saying, be very, very careful about standing with them and lingering with them, doing life with them. And then it goes on to say, or sit in the company of mockers. Sitting implies taking up residence and becoming like them. That's what sitting is meaning here. And mockers, these are people who are actively putting down the things of God. Scripture is teaching us here that we are, that one of the first steps of having joy is to avoid those things and those kinds of people. We avoid those things, but it goes on in Psalm chapter 1, verse 2, which really, for today, is at least our key passage. It says, verse 2 says, But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on His law day and night. So verse 1 was telling us what not to do. Verse 2 is saying, blessed, blessed is the person who delights in the law of the Lord, and meditates on it day and night. This is huge throughout Scripture. It's taught all throughout Scripture that you and I are to meditate, fall in love with the pages of Scripture. As Joshua is dying, now, some of you may not know who Joshua is, but just very quickly, Joshua was a, a leader of God's people in the Old Testament, okay? As he is dying and he is giving instructions to God's people, he says to them, meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. If you do that, everything will go well with you. You can read on throughout the, a lot of the rest of the Psalms, and they will tell you that, and, and instruct us that we are to meditate on the law of the Lord. And Romans chapter 12, verse 2 So it's even taught in the New Testament. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, what does the renewing of the mind mean? It's meditating on the passage of Scripture, so much so that it soaks into the very fiber of who you are and changes the way that you think. It's like marinating a good, or putting a, a cut of meat into a marinade. If you just kind of dip it in there, you know, you read scripture for just a couple minutes and, and you kind of go along and you don't think anymore, maybe a little of the flavor gets on the meat, you know what I'm saying? But, it, but to really soak in, you got to let it sit there for a while. Well, it's, it's the same thing in scripture. What's, what is teaching us here? So we're, you and I are to meditate on that. Well, that begs the question well, what in the world's meditation then? Well, meditation from a Christian standpoint is this it means to reflect on, to study, and to put into practice what you read in Scripture. To think deeply about. Falling in love with the pages of Scripture is meditating. It's, it's reflecting on it. It's studying, putting into practice Scripture. And this is entirely different than another word that we have in our English language that, that I'll call um, Eastern meditation. But this is another word that we see out there, meditation. I was walking into the library uh, earlier this week working on this sermon. And for those of you guys that were here a couple weeks ago, I didn't run into the nose picker again. If you didn't, go get the sermon from that. You can listen to that story another time. But I was walking into the little lobby of the Peachtree City Library, and on the bulletin board, there's this, this, this sign that says, Are you stressed? And I went, I don't know, maybe not, but I'm at least going to go see what this is all about. And so I went over and read it. And you know what it said? It said, If you're stressed, come, and I'll teach you how to meditate. And we'll get rid of all your stress. Well, that's, that's a different kind of meditation than what, what we're talking about today. The kind of meditation we're talking about takes energy, it takes effort, it takes you thinking and praying. It is an active thought process whereby we give ourselves to the study of the Word, praying over it and asking God to give us His understanding through the Holy Spirit. The concept of meditation is really so crucial to this passage. We're going to spend most of our time here this morning. We're going to look at what meditation promises we're going to look at how it's practiced, we'll, and we'll even practice it a little bit today. And we're going to look at why it works. So what does meditation promise? Well, we go on in Psalm chapter 1, verse 3 to see what it promises. According to verse 3, meditation promises stability, groundedness, and substance. Verse 3 says this, that a person who delights in the law of the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. The author there is using an incredible metaphor for us. This tree planted by streams of water, meaning that its roots go down deep into the ground and and, and tap into the streams underground so that it's not reliant upon the rain, so that if things get tough, it doesn't wither and die. Even in those tough times, that plant produces fruit. It doesn't It doesn't wither. It doesn't go away. Just so as you and I meditate on Scripture, do you know what we're doing when we think deeply about Scripture? We are taking our roots. And they're going deep down into who Jesus is. And we're tapping into Him. Jesus actually told us and taught us in the New Testament. He said, listen, if we go to Him, He will quench our thirst. He says, come to me all who are thirsty. Right? And I will quench your thirst. When we study and soak in Scripture, we're putting our roots down into who He is. Now, the metaphor is continued in verse 4, where the wicked person is described as chaff that the wind blows away. I'm a a kid that grew up in the suburbs. Sometimes I'm lost on some of these farm illustrations uh, that Scripture uses. So let me explain to you a little bit about chaff. Now, you probably are smarter than I am. You already know this. But chaff is the junk. It's the junk of of farming. It's the junk of the the worthless husk of the wheat. Very light. It can't produce anything of value. And what they would do is, as they were, I guess they were cracking the wheat, they would take it on a thing and they would throw it up in the air and the wind would come and blow the chaff away. And they just kind of let it get on the ground and they didn't do anything with it because it was worthless to the people back then. The The wicked are like the chaff. Now God is telling us something incredible in this metaphor. Don't miss this. The person who meditates on Scripture is compared to a growing, thriving tree that is capable of producing fruit even in the tough times of life. Why? Because its roots are down into the streams of living water. But the wicked person, they're not described as a smaller tree that produces less fruit. They're described as somebody completely different, of someone with a different substance that will ultimately be thrown away. Just so... As followers of Christ, Scripture teaches that you and I, if you're a follower of Christ, that you have been made new. You are a new substance, spiritually speaking. When you become a follower of Christ, God changes your heart and gives you a new heart. Now this newness, this isn't something we do on our own, right? It is something that God does in us and for us. But we do have a choice to make. Our choice is this, do we put our roots down into God? by studying Scripture and learning about who He is and about who Jesus is? Or do we follow the ways of the world and wicked people? You know, where do we get our hope when the stock market crashes 500 points one day, and then the very next morning we see it crash another 1,000 points? And we watch literally billions, if not billions of dollars just instantly go away. Where does our hope come from? Where does our hope come from when we get that bad medical news about a loved one? Well, according to Psalm chapter 1, if we meditate, we fall in love with the Scripture we soak in it, we let it change who we are, our hope comes from God's character who we're tapping into. We get it from Him, just like the tree gets its water from the roots. We tap into His hope, His meaning, His joy, and His strength. That is why if you've ever attended a Christian funeral, it's a little bit different than attending a funeral of someone who's not a follower of Christ and that has lots of People who aren't followers of Christ there. You see, because we grieve when we grieve, we're sad, right? Followers of Christ, we're sad because we're not going to see that person any longer. But we grieve with hope. I remember my grandfather's funeral. You know, some of my earliest memories of my grandfather, he's telling me about Jesus and how good Jesus is. The man walked with God. And when he died, we were sad that we were no longer going to see him on this side of eternity. But going to that funeral in that small country church up up in Cumming, Georgia, while it was vastly different musically, than like how we do a funeral here. There was tremendous hope in that service. Tremendous hope. Because we were grieving, sad that we wouldn't see him, but we were thankful and excited about the fact that we would see him again. Contrast that to the very first funeral that I ever preached. I've shared this story with you before, but we were in Florida on vacation. We're up on the second story of this condominium complex, and we heard sirens, and so we went outside kind of the back part of there, had a... a, there was a walkway on the backside of the condominium complex. And we looked down at the street. And there, there's these paramedics working on this man. And an older lady who's sitting there watching. And so I went down to, to pray with this lady. i to find out we were watching her husband die before our very eyes. And so about two days later, I get a, a, a phone call. And it's this lady, and she says, Would you do the funeral for my husband? We're from up north. I don't have the money to get him back home. Would you, would you officiate a funeral here? And I said, well, sure. I said, I don't have any kind of funeral clothes. And she said, that's fine. We're in Florida. Don't worry about it. I said, all right. So we, we, we did this. And listen, the, the people that were there, was only about 11 people. and They were family members. They weren't followers of Christ as far as I could tell, and at least in the conversations as we, and as we talked. And they grieved as if it was the end of the world. It was was really awful. It probably was awful because it was the first funeral that I had ever done. Right? I didn't know what I was doing. But it was also awful because I was looking at people in their eye and they had no hope. Where does hope come from? It it comes from a relationship with with Christ. It comes from knowing Him and having your roots tapped down into Him. Well, how is meditation practiced? How is it practiced? Well, let's start by understanding a story that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Let me read it for you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand the rain came down the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash jesus is teaching here something huge he's saying that one of the ways meditation impacts our lives is that we hear and we do what scripture says because when we do what scripture says it's like taking scripture and building our lives on the foundation that's the rock jesus So let's go back in our definition of Christian meditation. Meditation means to reflect on, to study, and to practice. We are to study deeply and think about the passages of Scripture that we're reading and then put them into practice. Jesus used the illustration or the metaphor of building it on a rock, building a house on a rock, tying it back into Psalm chapter 1. It's the tree roots that are going deep down that keeps that tree healthy. I want to give you some practical tools to help you learn to do this. I've got five questions that you can ask yourself about every passage of Scripture that you ever read. Now, let me acknowledge that these are just there are only five questions here. There's other sets of questions. There are other tools that you could use. But I didn't want to leave here today saying, hey, let's make sure we meditate and think deeply about Scripture without giving you at least one tool on how to do it. In your note sheets, it gives you those five questions. What does the passage teach? What truth leads me to praise God is the second question. The third question, what sins do I need to confess in light of this passage? Number four, what do I need to ask God for in light of this truth? And number five, if I really, 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 really believed it. We ran out of room on your note sheets to put all those reallys. But if I really, really, really believed that, how would it change the way that I live? I think those are great questions. And if you answer those questions, you're, you're thinking deeply about the passage of Scripture that you're looking at. So let's practice it together. Based on Matthew chapter seven, verses twenty four through twenty seven, the passage that we just read, where Jesus was talking about hearing his words and putting them into practice. What does that passage teach? Well, very quickly, it teaches that hearing and doing Jesus' words are the key to building a foundation on Him, a very solid foundation, so that when the when the troubles of life come, that we don't fall apart. What truth leads me to praise God? Well, I can praise God that when, because life is going to get hard. If it's not hard for you right now, it's going to get hard eventually. When life gets hard, if your foundation is built on Christ, the rock, or going back to Psalm chapter 1 that we read earlier, if our roots are deep into Him, we'll stand firm. And I can praise God for that, and we should praise God for that. Well, what sins do I need to confess? Well, I could say, Lord, I'm sorry, but I, I do know that there are times where I read Scripture and study Scripture and that I don't put it into practice. So, Lord, forgive me for that. And if, I was, if we had a lot of time, we would, I would list all of those things that I've heard and studied Scripture and didn't put them into practice. And I'd turn away from that. What do I need to ask God for? Well, one of the things that I could ask God for is, Lord, help me to hear You clearly when I study Your Word and help me to obey You fully. And if I really, really, really believe this, how would it affect my life or with my family specifically? Well, I would teach my children how to hear God and how to obey Him. I would model this for them. We'd talk about it at the dinner table. I could, I could, you could really spend hours really with each one of those questions, asking the Holy Spirit to, to show you the answers to those questions. But if you use just those five simple questions, that's a great first step on learning to meditate, on learning to fall in love with the pages of Scripture. Now, why does it work? Don't miss this section. Don't don't go on autopilot here. Here's a great example of why meditation works. And it's not because meditation is mystical or magical. Let me me build the case this way by looking at some of Jesus' teachings in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus is speaking and he says this He says, You have heard it said, do not murder. All right, he's referring back to the Old Testament, he's referring back to the Ten Commandments. He says, All right, don't murder. But I tell you, if you're angry with a brother, you will be subject to the same judgment. He goes on in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. So again, he's referring back to the Old Testament, the, the Ten Commandments. He said, all right, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But he says, I say to you, if you've ever looked at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. Here's the deal. Most of us can look at the Old Testament Ten Commandments and go, we're, maybe we're okay. Some of you maybe not, but, but I've not killed anybody. I've not cheated on my spouse. I've got it. Good, I'm done. But Jesus raised the bar for us, didn't He? He raised the bar. He said, if you're, if you're angry, if you're angry with a brother, you're subject to the same judgment. If you've ever looked lustfully at somebody, you've committed adultery in your heart. He raised the stakes. It helps me to know I can't live up to Jesus' standards. Can you? The right answer is there is no, you can't. It shows us that we need help. That I need help. Psalm one says that we're to meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. I don't know about you, but I don't even know that I can do that. I mean, I gotta sleep. I don't know how you meditate. Honestly, I don't know how you meditate on it at night if you're sleeping. I guess maybe you could dream about it and have it playing on a on your you know some kind of CD player. Or I was going to say record player, but we don't have those anymore, do we? Playing in your room so that you're listening to it all all night long. But I realize is I can't do that on my own. I can't live up to that to even that simple standard of falling in love with the pages of scripture, meditating on that. But guess who did? Guess who did that for us and who does it for us? Jesus did. Tim Keller wrote that there are about 1,800 verses that Jesus spoke. Now, all right, he didn't speak in verses. He didn't say, all right, Matthew 5, 21, write this down. But as he was speaking and as we have identified his words throughout Scripture, there's about 1,800 verses that are, that are his words. 10% of those, 180 verses are of him quoting Scripture, the people. He's referring back to Scripture, meaning that he knew Scripture. He understood Scripture. He's done that for us. And the reality is I soaked and soaked in Psalm chapter 1 over these past couple of weeks. Here's what I realized. I realized that really I deserve to be the chaff that Psalm chapter 1 talks about. That's what I really deserve. Because as I look at Scripture and and, and Jesus' teaching, I can't live to His standards. I can't do it. But Jesus, Jesus makes it so that I'm not the chaff. And if you're a follower of Christ, neither are you. He makes it so that I have a changed heart, and so do you if you're a follower of Christ. And if you're not a follower of Christ, you can have a changed heart. He's the one that does the work in us. You see, when we meditate and fall in love with the pages of Scripture, the words of Scripture, we see ourselves for who we really are. This is why meditation works, because we see ourselves for who we really are, and we see Jesus for who He really is. One who loves us. One who wants to redeem us. So let's sum up Psalm chapter 1 this way. You and I are to avoid wickedness. We're to avoid sin. Instead, we're to meditate on Scripture. We're to fall in love with it by studying it and obeying it, thinking deeply about the words of God. And we do this in and through Jesus giving us His strength and power because we can't do it on our own. Some of you in this room were part of uh, the the movie event that happened Friday night where a lot of folks from Dogwood, a lot of churches from around the the, the nation got together and watched the movie War Room. If you've seen the movie, you'll know it's a good one. If you haven't seen it, I recommend that you go see it. But in that movie, one of the main characters kind of hit a wall and he realized all the terrible things that he had done and how he was really tearing his family apart and breaking God's heart. And there was a scene where... He got down on his knees, and this is not a direct quote because I didn't write it down, but the essence of what he said is he called out to God with tears streaming down his face, I can't do this on my own. And neither can I, and neither can you. We have to put our faith and trust in God and put our roots, that tree, going back to the tree analogy, the metaphor, we have to put our roots roots deep down into who Jesus is. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? We're going to spend a few moments praying. As we're praying, the band is going to go ahead and come on up on stage and get ready to help us sing and celebrate through song how great God is. But let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would help us to pick up and make sense of the very practical meaning of the song that we just looked at today. We are supposed to delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. God, help us to put our roots down into who You are, Your character, and to draw strength and meaning from You. God, we thank You that You've promised to help us, to actually do this in us, for us, because on our own we can't. So again, God, I ask You that You would help us to fall in love the words of Scripture, the pages of Scripture, so that we can fall in love with You. Now with your heads bowed and your eyes still closed and attitudes attitude still of prayer, in a group this size, in a room this size filled with this many people, stats tell us that there are people in this room who are not yet followers of Christ. It could be that you've gone to church almost every day of your life or every weekend of your life. Or maybe... This is your first time ever setting foot into a church. But maybe this morning you have realized your need for Jesus. And you want to become a follower of His. Well, if so, tell God something like this in your own words. Lord Jesus, to the best that I understand it, I ask you to come into my life to be my leader, in other words, God, I'm giving you complete and total control of who I am. And to be my forgiver, God, forgive me of my sin, of me choosing to go my way and not yours. God, forgive me of that. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer, the Bible says you are a brand new creation. The, the, the God has changed the substance of who, what your spiritual heart is. You're a new creation. As a church, we exist to help you grow in that. So if you'll let us know of that decision, we'll get in contact with you and we'll help resource you. We'll pray with you. We'll help you grow in your walk with Christ. The welcome card that Pastor Keith spoke of at the beginning of the service, on the back side of that card, there's a box that you can check that says, today I'm following Christ or today I'm becoming a follower of Christ. Check that box and turn it in in the offering basket in just a few moments. And and we'll consider that an invitation from you for us to connect with you and help you grow. Lord Jesus, thanks so much for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.